Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. In this Masterclass message, Pastor Brandon Sanford points out how Jesus uses an illustration to show three failure points each disciple must be aware of. Let's listen now. It has been a busy summer for me. Just kind of putting it out there. We've had trips. We went to Tennessee. We had summer Bible club. We had hundreds of kids and volunteers here. We had sports camp. We had mad camp. We had mad week. And I'm sure if you're like my family and myself, we've peppered things in between there as well. To the point now, it's the middle of August, and you're starting to get the, the feeling, particularly if you're in school or if you're a teacher in school, I call it the dread, and it starts to come. Uh, also, over the summer, we've been looking at a series focused solely on the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. So that's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's also echoed in other places within the Gospels. And we've been really looking at, okay, what does it look like according to Jesus' teaching in this master sermon to follow after him? And that's kind of why we framed it, okay, to follow after Christ, to be a disciple, we're going to plunge into the Sermon on the Mount so that we can be better positioned to understand what it is to follow after Jesus as his disciple. So I've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount a fair amount. Yeah, kind of sticks together. Uh, and as you look at the progression, you see it within the messages that we've had. But in chapter 5, we see an inward transformation that happens for a disciple. And that inward transformation is connected to our upward interaction with God that you find in chapter 6. Last week, we, we closed chapter 6 looking at anxiety, something that, that all of us, especially today, I'm sure to some degree experience. And Jesus actually unravels anxiety in the passage and says, as we focus on God and his kingdom, on Christ and his purposes, that, that anxiety falls away. That, that if we make our, our focus by the power of the Holy Spirit, God's righteousness, then in turn we experience God's provision. Because a lot of those things of, that, that are related to worry are, are related to, to a lack of something, not having something, a fear of something happening. But, but if we pursue God, God says, I, I got that. And now we turn to chapter 7. Chapter 7, the focus shifts from the upward to the outward. How, how, how those who call themselves disciples treat others in our interactions with others. So before we dive into this passage, I want to pray. Pray that we would hear God through his word, be transformed by his word, and be better prepared to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So let's pray together. God, speak through your word. May we hear your voice 
in this passage. There, there are so many things, so many truths within these few verses of Scripture. But God, may we not interact with them and not be changed. God, may, may you cut through joint and marrow and leave us better positioned, encouraged, and ready to follow after you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So where did the Pharisees drift? What, what happened? If you look at the audiences of the Gospels, no one is treated more harshly than the Pharisees. Jesus had some very, very sharp words for them. For example, he said to them, you guys are just really, really good-looking graves. Whitewashed tombs is what he said. But in that day and age, there was probably nobody who had greater religious devotion than the Pharisees. There was probably no one with greater personal discipline than the Pharisees. And there was probably nobody who had a greater passion for God in outward expressions and in their decisions than the Pharisees. I mean, if we were to take those, those things that, that they aspired to and they, they really demonstrated today, what we would see, well, the Pharisees actually knew their Bible really well because they knew it back then. If we met someone who had the entirety of the Bible memorized, we would probably hold them in pretty high esteem. If we knew someone that was very, very diligent in his or her spiritual practices when it comes to fasting or prayer, we would look at someone like that and say, wow, I admire that about you, that you're disciplined in that way. If we, if we knew someone that, that never, ever missed some type of activity connected with the local congregation, we would be like, don't you ever go on vacation? But we would also say, wow, that, I admire that about you. If you had someone who dedicated their time and their service to a local body of believers, we would look and say, thank you. If you see someone Today, and when someone begins to drift or the culture at large begins to move away from God's heart and someone speaks out, we would say, oh, I don't have that kind of courage. But, but wow, I applaud you for that. These were some of the things that the Pharisees did. In this passage that we're about to look at, in Matthew 7, Jesus actually indicts the disciples for the potential of hypocrisy. It's one of the only instances where his accusations against the Pharisees match what's the potential for his disciples. Why, why I brought that up is to say, okay, how can we prevent that? Because, listen, faith in Jesus and a devotion to God does not make a disciple immune to hypocrisy. Because that's sometimes I think the game that I play. 
But, you know, I, I have a genuine faith. I tell myself this. And, and then I truly love God. I have that faith in Jesus being the Son of God. Therefore, I'm not going to do, do one thing here and then expect something of others and, and be guilty of hypocrisy. That, that if I have that true faith, no, that's not me. But, but this passage flies in the face of my own thought process. That, no, that, that's very possible. Let me show you. In Matthew 7, 1 through 6, Jesus says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For the, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. First of all, let me say, those are mean pigs. I've never met a pig like that. Usually they're like laying down and like not doing anything. <clears throat> but Jesus sets the stage for the truth that he's seeking to convey. And as I looked at this passage more, he's actually bringing up a scene from his childhood. He's using the, the workshop of a carpenter to illustrate the point that he's warning his disciples against. It's that of two people working, potentially a brother, and that, that one has something in his eye. And so the other, out of concern either for his brother or concern for whatever the brother is working on, wants to correct the problem. And so he goes over to take the speck out of his brother's eye, not realizing that he has a massive sliver or log in his own eye. He, he misses three critical things, and those critical things are going to define the things that were made the Pharisees guilty the poles that brought them from, from a devotion towards hypocrisy. And we're going to outline those today. And, and Jesus is using hyperbole in this passage. It's, it's an over-exaggeration to draw out the point. Obviously, if somebody had a log in their eye, they'd probably be screaming, okay? But it's to draw the point to say, be mindful of these three poles. And so we're going to go over those three poles, look at what it looks like for us who call ourselves disciples, so that we might be positioned to be genuine followers who are not guilty of hypocrisy. And then we're going to confront that as we seek to remember what Jesus has done for us. So poll number one, it's the poll of elitism. See, when the brother comes and tries to help the other with the speck, 
he thinks that he knows better. He, he sees himself be like, I, I got this. I can handle that. No problem. Just hold still. He thinks he has the expertise to handle that. A key verb in this passage, and you can see it, it's a common word, is, is judge. To, to judge, judgment, to be judged. And that word in this passage, is, it's, it's a legal type of word, but it's actually pretty neutral. But in the context of Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, it actually draws out a very negative connotation. It's worth noting that Jesus is not giving a prohibition against all judgment. It's something very easy to adopt. It's something very popular to say, no, I'm not supposed to judge, so I'm not going to judge, when that's actually not what Jesus is saying here. Because just a few verses later, in a later passage, which we'll get into, he talks about discerning false prophets. How can you discern false prophets if you're not making a judgment about what they're doing? And Jesus even lays out the way in which we should discern and draw a conclusion about whether a person is a false prophet or not. And it's by their fruit, by their actions. Okay, that's judgment. So, so we can pretty clearly say, okay, Jesus didn't change his mind over a course of six to ten verses. Because there's actually a clear progression that happens between this section and that. So he's not giving that, don't do it ever, but then what is he saying? One of the things he's saying here is that as the person comes to help with the spec, is that they're making a judgment about the measurement that is happening. You see, he says, judge not so that you will not be judged. But in the next verse, in verse 2, he seems to know that judgment is inevitable. And it shows us that judgment for all people is certain and consistent. And so as the brother goes to pull the speck out of his other brother's eye, the brother who has the log in his eye doesn't think that that's going to be a problem. No, that's not me. That's, I, don't, I got this under control. When he doesn't realize that at the end of the day, he is not the judge. What we see here is disciples, as they remember that judgment is certain and consistent, we need to understand that it's our guilt, that guilt we've admitted must be involved in our process of looking at our brother. Because the brother who's seeking to get the speck believes he's above the brother with the speck just as, as disciples can come to believe that they are above, outside of the judgment of God. And, and the point is, they are, but there's a twist that happens where they come to believe that that's because of their own doing, when that's not true at all. Disciples of Christ, people who follow after Jesus, understand by the power of the Holy Spirit that when God gives out the proverbial measuring tape of one's life, no matter what we do, we will come out guilty. 
And therefore, we've cast our cares, we've cast our minds, we've cast our hearts upon Jesus who lived the, de- the life that we couldn't live, that died the death that we deserved and rose again to victory over death. And we say, I can't do that. Jesus, you do that. And because of that, because of that act, God does judge us, but when he judges, he sees Christ. Disciples should not think that they are above the judgment. God doesn't change. He is the same. It's because of Jesus' righteousness that, that disciples are forgiven. The second poll that we have is a poll of hypocrisy. In the story, we move to the next section. Let me read it for you. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The person who's got the log doesn't think he's got a problem. And not only does he think he doesn't got a problem, he doesn't realize how much it impairs his judgment. So last year in the spring, my, my wife and I, Becca, we decided to start a garden. And we went big when it comes to a garden. We started growing plants. And lately, as I mentioned at the beginning of the message, that it's been a crazy summer. And so what happens is a lot of the time, the garden maintenance is happening in the evening as the sun goes down, sometimes in the dark. Just this past week, we got back from being away for a little bit, and I'm, I'm mowing the lawn in the dark, and, and my wife is in the garden with a flashlight doing tasks in the garden, and I'm like, I wonder what the neighbors think. <laughs> and, and there was one time where we were both working in the garden, picking things and, and doing things, and, and as you know, as the sun goes down and it gets dark and cool, the bugs come out. And, and so Becca's in the garden, and she's like, I got a bug in my eye. And she came across, we had like our peas, so she lit, went over the pea trellis, and she's like showing me her eye, and, and it's dark. She'd be like, hold still, you know, just, just go in and get at it. And I was like, I can't even see the weed, let alone take a bug out of your eye to... to, to to just dive my fingers in and start going at it would be foolish. I would damage her eye and probably not be successful because the darkness was impairing me just as she was impaired. It would be foolish for me even if I come out the next day and I look at her, her work and I'm like, wow, you really messed up, messed up there. Not realizing, like, well, I was in the same situation, but I just don't look down in that section. You're seeing the hilarity of the situation here. And the reality is, as disciples, we all do not measure up to what we were made for. All of us. We sin. We miss the mark. And any time that you begin, I begin to think, that I'm, I'm making it, well, the act of thinking that is missing the mark. Sin is a problem. It is. 
Disciples have the tendency to forget that we are capable of sin. You see, Jesus came so that we might be free of sin, forgiven of our sin. And, and something happens in the process of that, and, and it's a pull that, that Jesus is warning us about here, is that we cast our, our, ourselves upon Christ, and then after we come to a place of faith, we're like, okay, okay, I got this. Not realizing that, that we don't. We don't at all. Jesus died for our sins past, present, and future. We are people who are forgiven. So when disciples look on others and see faults and sin, they must do so with the knowledge of their own sinfulness. They, they need to look through the lens of an inward reflection about our own fallibility as we look upon the fallibility of others. It's looking upon it with, with grace, just as God looked upon us with grace. It's also important to point out that, that as you look on others without your sin, something very, very destructive can happen, and you can get a critical spirit towards other people. You, 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 you devalue them, and in turn, you, you overvalue yourself. Like, oh, I don't do that. Jesus says to that, you hypocrite. I might look at my, my brother who's got an issue and not be careful to realize that I got my own problems. Now, now we're going to move into the final part of this, but you might be asking, well, what about accountability? Uninvited accountability is a hard thing. And I would say, try to stray away from that. If someone invites that in your life and you have that relationship, great. But we are poor substitutes for the Holy Spirit. He's never come to me like, Brandon, can you stand in today? But sometimes we live that way, right? We're like, well, I don't know if the Holy Spirit's on Facebook, so I will be there for him. <laughs> we have to remember our sin. Not, not for, for, for shame's sake, but to realize that we've been people who are forgiven. The third pull we have is a pull of moralism. So Jesus begins to close out the illustration, but before he does so, he, he pulls out another saying. It's this, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. As was made reference in the video before I came up here, that, that Jesus probably taught this sermon multiple times. The disciples really captured the words of Jesus and put them on a page as they taught them to people. And, and for, for, for a period of time, I, I, I knew that. And I thought, okay, Jesus had multiple things, multiple, uh, you know, I call them sections or, or pericopes that he taught. 
And, and these things that he did as he traveled around Galilee. And I was like, it, it probably changed the order. But as I'm reading this passage more, there's actually a clear progression. And so I was kind of like, for a while, I'm like, well, clearly Jesus said this. And the disciples were like, we got to put it in there. Where do you think it'll fit? Ah, throw it after the judgment part. But actually, there's an intentionality behind it that I began to see as I, I spent more time with it. You see, if the brother removes the log that is in his own eye, deals with that hypocrisy, deals with that elitism, admits his own limitations, works alongside his brother in the way Jesus actually has in mind, there is still one more potential issue. It's that the brother with the speck cares. He might be doing his own thing. Be like, yeah, I got stuff in my eye, whatever. And this project, you know, I'm building a chicken coop. I don't really care. The brother who's seeking to correct, who had the log, is assuming there's a level of expectation, a level of accountability that the brother with the spec wants. For disciples to hold those outside of the faith accountable for behavior that they do not value is not wise accountability. It's moral snobbery. It is foolish to have expectations for others who do not care about your expectations. I have never heard a story from someone about how it was his neighbor's condemnation that brought him to a saving faith in Jesus. You came over and you told me I was wrong. And I didn't know a thing about Jesus, but that was the point. I said to myself, I'm coming to church. I'm getting right with God, whoever he is. I I've never heard that. Maybe that's your story. But I've heard countless stories about how it was a life transformed, people living in a way that was set apart, that was the shining light that drew someone in to say, what, what, are, what is this thing that you have? The, the kindness of God, it says in Scripture, leads us to repentance. Why, why would, in turn, disciples say, and it is our judgment that will keep things on track? We seek to emulate and become more like Christ. So, so, actually, Paul echoes this in 1 Corinthians 2.14. He writes, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. When we look at those outside of the faith, and we see things that are marked by destruction, and we see people living in a way that is not of God, but they care nothing about him, it is not a disciple's place to let them know what they're doing wrong. It's more to let them know about the one who dealt with the wrongs. 
Therefore, disciples must reject the pull of moralism and cultivate a life set apart, marked by God's love and grace. And so to sum up what Jesus is telling us that we can be guilty of as disciples, as the Pharisees were, is this, that, that there is a temptation, a pull, to believe that disciples are above judgment, capable of sin, or incapable of sin, and elevated above others. We need to confront those poles and remember Christ. Because, because these are actually things that are kind of true, but not fully true, because you've taken Jesus out of the mix. As we remember because of Jesus, we are outside of God's judgment, counted as righteous through Christ. We are free of sin because we are forgiven in Christ. We are set apart for Christ. We, we, we are not the moral... It is, this, this point is so important. I, I, I hear it when it comes to working with students. We are meant to be ambassadors, not moral arbiters. And if we're going to reach people and be a city on a hill, the light of the world, we have to live a life wisely discerning what it looks like to be set apart. Therefore, disciples must remain aware of their forgiveness, compassionate towards others, and wisely discerning how to cultivate a life set apart. And, and that's the part that, again, that wisely set apart, that is so hard today. Because the world is complex, and, and, and thankfully we have the Holy Spirit to guide and direct our paths so that we can know, okay, God, what, what do you want in this situation? What does it look like to follow you in this hard decision? What does it look like to, to, for you, for my family, to live a life dedicated for you with all of these external circumstances happening? What, what does it look like? What does it look like for me and my finances to, to prioritize you and to be set apart, to be people committed to your purposes? Those are tough things. It matters how we treat each other. The way we treat others is intimately connected with how well we grasp what God has done for us. This is directly connected to inward transformation, chapter 5, upward interaction, chapter 6, our outward influence of chapter 7 of Matthew. It's his inward transformation of us and our upward interaction that with him shape how we see others and the world. We, we want God's eyes as we view people. However, we must understand and confront that even after we come to a place of faith, we, there's going to be that temptation to drift. There's going to be that pull. That pull to come to believe that Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again because we're that awesome. And we're not. He came to do that because he's awesome. We need to remind ourselves of the things that he did because he is so great. It is the love of God that motivated his actions. His actions are the means by which we are saved from his judgment. His actions are what cleanse us of our sin. His actions are what set us apart as holy. It is not of our own doing. No one can boast about what they've done. Therefore, as disciples, we must confront the depths of our sin. 
We must repent and ready ourselves as disciples as we go out. We must look at other believers with compassion and patience. And then we must cultivate a life set apart by God's grace and not expect those outside. Because when we do, if we look at others and say, you follow God, when they don't care, they're going to turn and attack you. Instead, let's be the disciples Christ called us to be. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.